Well, I'm really excited to be preaching this morning, and it is always a joy to, um, to be with you. And we have been going through a series in John, if you have been a part of the Journey community for the last year, and we're moving towards the end of John's gospel. If you were here last week or if you watched online, you know that um, in, our last, in our last sermon, Jesus was hung on the cross. And so this is where we find ourselves today. We have a lengthy passage of scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. And it's meaty. There is a lot, a lot in this passage. And I'm excited to share some of the things I've learned about this passage with you. And so to begin, what we're going to do is we're just gonna read it together. And so if you are able um, or comfortable doing so, would you please stand as we read the scripture together? And by together, I mean, I will read it aloud because it is long (laughs) and you can follow along. I have the slides um, behind me and, um, and this is why we're here. We are here to learn from the spirit through the words of scripture through the story of Jesus. And so please turn your attention to the Holy Scriptures. John 19, starting at verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top, to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, And Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Our passage is not done, but let's take a moment of silence. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. 
The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it had given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes with about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This is in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as we begin to discuss this passage, let's go to prayer and ask that Jesus himself will be our teacher. Lord God, we are your people. We are gathered to bring you worship and to learn your ways, to learn your character. We believe that you are here in this room. You know the things that we've brought with us into this room. You know the questions on our hearts. You know the things that we're wrestling with. And so we hold these things before you and we ask your spirit to stir in each one of us and among us together as a community. We desire to be people who proclaim your death until you return. And so, Lord, teacher, we're listening. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So it's a lengthy passage, so I want to start by summarizing what we just read, because I know it's morning and we still are waking up. So let's just kind of review what happened in that passage. In John 19, 23 through 42, the first thing that we saw happen was the soldiers crucified Jesus. And then we find ourselves watching as these four soldiers divide up Jesus' clothes. And then the attention turns back to Jesus, and Jesus has this conversation with his mother. Jesus is close to death, and he asks for something to drink. He's thirsty. 
And then our Jesus gives up his spirit and Jesus dies. The Jewish leaders, knowing that it's almost the Sabbath, want things hurried along, and so they ask the soldiers to take the bodies down in preparation for the Sabbath. And then two secret followers of Jesus, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, ask for the body of Jesus and take him to the tomb. This is what happened in our passage. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through and talk. I'm just going to show you the scriptures as we go through. And we'll talk about kind of each one of those parts of scripture. A few things that you need to know is that John is masterful in the way that he tells this story of these last moments of Jesus's life. And what he's going to do is he's actually going to remind us of the beginning of his gospel. And so even though there could be a few more of these than I've included, I've highlighted three flashbacks to different moments um, early in Jesus's ministry. If you have ever watched a TV show through to the last episode, you know that show finales often have all of your favorite characters from throughout all of the years of the show come back and there's these surprise guest appearances from every favorite, um, every favorite episode. Our family, we've watched, or my husband and I, not our kids, but we've watched The Office, we've watched Friends, we've watched West Wing, I mean, and, and so many others, but some of those were the ones that were filling my mind like, oh, when Michael Scott came back, or, you know, like just all of these different characters. We're going to see that happen in this passage. We are going to see some of our favorite characters from John's gospel come back. And so what I've done in my slides is I've actually changed the look of the slide just a little bit so that you know we're not in the present moment. We've gone back to something that happened earlier in John's gospel, something earlier in the life of Jesus that connects to what we're doing right here in this moment, in this chapter 19. And so John takes us back to actually John 1, 2, 3, and 4, these early chapters of his gospel. So that's something that you need to know. You also need to know, as we approach this particular text, I'm not going to tie it up with a bow. We will not be ending in a happy place. We know, of course, we know how this story ends. It's why we're here. It's why the Christian church exists century after century. We know how this story ends, but today we don't end on a good note. Today, it's not going to be wonderful. We're going to end in a hard place. Typically, the story of the crucifixion is told during Holy Week on Good Friday. And on Good Friday, when we tell that story, everyone's thinking about Easter Sunday, everything from who's gathering at my house, what am I going to wear, you know, to like, let's just talk about the resurrection instead. Today, we have this odd gift of a whole week to meditate specifically on this passage. We're not going to be gathering in two days to talk about what happens next. We have a week to allow the Spirit of God to teach us through this passage. And so that's where we will end today. We'll end with singing some songs of response to God, but 
we're not going to tie a tidy bow on it. And what I'm also not going to do is I'm not going to tell you how to apply it to your own life. This is a common um, preaching practice is that pe- preachers try and, you know, help us to apply it to our own life. How now shall we live? now shall we live when our Savior is dead? Today, today it's about Jesus. It's not It's not about us. We are going to pay attention to the character of Jesus, to the ministry of Jesus, and we're not going to bring it back to ourselves today. We're going to sit in this space. So, starting at John 19, verse 23, we begin with this image of these soldiers who have divided Jesus' outer clothing into four pieces, one for each of them. There are these four soldiers, and what that is going to actually, there's going to be a contrast that's going to be set up here between these soldiers and four other people who are going to appear next in our passage. But we have this image of them each taking part of Jesus' clothing, there's this sense that they know it's worth something. Because when it comes to Jesus' undergarment, what, his underwear, there's this like, we're not going to divide this thing into four pieces. One of us is going to get it. One of us is going to walk away with two things, part of the outer garment and this undergarment. It's worth something. They've just crucified him, but yet there's this sense that this might be valuable. Moving on to the next slide, picking up at, oh, what verse? I don't know, 25, I don't know. Okay, near the cross of Jesus, notice this is our contrast I was talking about. The four disciples who are fighting over what's left of Jesus. And now you have near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Where over here, you have this image of these four soldiers fighting over what's left of Jesus, gambling for it, wanting to sell and make money. Here, you have this image of these four women who are in a space of danger, Everyone else has left, but these four women, these faithful followers of Jesus, remain. You have this contrast that John has set up. Now, other gospel writers will actually list even some other women. So it's very intentional, this four and four that John is structuring, this this, um, juxtaposition of these two groups, because in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are names of other women. There's Mary Magdalene, there's um, uh, Salome, there's there's this mention of all of the women who followed Jesus from Galilee, all of the women who paid for Jesus' travels out of their own means. There's this mention of this larger group of women. But for John, he wants to draw this contrast between faithful discipleship and the grossness of what we see from the soldiers. Something in this, as you look at these four women, have you ever noticed the second woman? His mother's sister? Mary, of all the nativity stories, has a sister? Jesus has a 
aunt, whatever her name is, we don't even know. I will call her Auntie Kelly because that is my sister's name. Um, so there is, there is Auntie right there too. Now for me, that also, just a little side note here, it changes how I read the nativity story. Because for any woman in the room, like, you know that the women who gather with you in your pregnancy and in your delivery, like, those are special relationships. And I think, oh my goodness, Mary had a sister. She had a cousin, Elizabeth, we knew that, but she also had a sister. A sister who was there as her nephew was being crucified. This auntie who watched her beloved Jesus be crucified. So these women remain. The passage goes on to this thing that I've, I guess I've always read it wrong (laughs) or something, because Jesus then directs his attention to his mother and to the disciple John. And he says... Woman, here is your son. But what I always thought Jesus meant was like, here, I'm your son. But what he's actually saying here is he's, he's saying, here's your son. This disciple is now your son. I want you two to care for each other. This new family created. This disciple becomes the son of Mary because Jesus asks that. This new family, there's all, all of these commentators have written all of these things about how new family is formed because of Jesus. And even Olivia was talking about that this morning in worship. The family that we are to one another because of what Jesus has done. And here, one of the last things Jesus is saying, you are now his mother and he is now your son. Take care of my mom. And one of the things that happens in this that commentators talk a lot about is If you've been with someone in their last moments of life, there are these kind of conversations. Take care of my beloved person, whoever that might be. And what's happening here is John is highlighting what he did in chapter one. One of the things that, if you know this about John's gospel, John is the only one of the four gospel writers who does not start with a nativity story. He doesn't tell the story of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and the Magi and the shepherd. John doesn't do that. He starts in with John one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And what he goes on to say is, he talks about the word became flesh. And so this is a big theme in John's gospel, and he's going to remind us in this chapter again and again and again that Jesus was flesh. Jesus was human. He's going to remind us. And so even this little interaction with his mother and this beloved disciple is a very human thing to do. Take care of each other in my death. Now, Moving forward, here's something so interesting. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Just for a moment, if you've read through scripture before, if you've been with us 
in this series, what does that line bring to mind for you? I am thirsty. Now we have our first little episode flashback. We are going to flashback to chapter 4, John 4, where Jesus is sitting by a well in Samaria, a place where Jewish people didn't go. There was this conflict, but Jesus goes to the well midday, and there's this woman who in secret, in quiet, is coming out to get water because of her shame in the community. And Jesus is there and has this interaction with her. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of this passage. I've just taken certain verses out of it because each one of these, that, each one of these flashback passages is actually pretty lengthy. So I've just tried to pull kind of some of the, the key highlights here. So in John 4, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It's just Jesus. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water living water. Jesus is living water. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. On the cross, at this moment, the living water says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. You will never thirst again, he says. Everlasting water. You will never thirst again. I am living water. The living water is dying. So later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had finished, or when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Do you hear it? What's coming to mind? Which passage is coming to mind for you? We're going to have flashback number two. Jar of wine vinegar. Bringing anything to mind for you. Flashback to John 2. The wedding at Cana. Jesus' first miracle. So, in John 2, 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, okay, just do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. And they did so. So moving forward in verse 9, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. There's this image of Jesus having this interaction with his mother. It's not my time. It's not my time. And these jars of water that become the best wine, the best wine. And now, our Jesus is on the cross. And he is drinking wine vinegar. Vinegar, wine vinegar, whatever it is, it's not good. It's not good. It's either the cheapest wine they had or it's super disgusting. This is what Jesus, who brings the best wine to the wedding, this is what he drinks in his final moments. And there was also another little flashback that I just can't not tell you about. I have. <laughs> it said that they dipped the sponge into the wine, or into the vinegar, and put it on a hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus. Now, commentators will say, actually, you wouldn't have been able to do that because the hyssop plant would have fallen apart. What that actually is, is to remind the people of Israel of something else that happened with hyssop plants. In the Passover, they were to dip a hyssop plant into the blood of the lamb and wipe it over their door. They were to use the hyssop plant to wipe the door with the blood of the lamb. And what they're celebrating in this time, the thing that, that the Jewish religious leaders are so nervous about keeping Jesus on the cross is because it's the celebration of the Passover. It is a celebration of the Passover. And here, the lamb of God is on the cross. We, that hyssop, that word hyssop is to remind us of the original Passover. Jesus drinks from the vinegar in this final moment of thirst, reminding us of that. And there's also this contrast. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You have this contrast of Jesus at the wedding at Cana talking with his mother and saying, it's not the time. And now he's talking with his mother again. It is finished. It's not time, and it is now finished. Jars of the best wine, a sponge of vinegar. My time has not yet come. It is finished. Moving forward in John 19, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. 
Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. These very religious, very holy people are concerned with appearances. They do not want the dead people on the cross over the period of the Sabbath and especially not during this big feast time, during this big celebration of this important moment in the life of Israel. They cared about appearances. Meanwhile, the Lamb of God at that very moment is dying. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this next slide as the soldiers walk from one body to the next and the breaking of the legs and then getting to Jesus and the stabbing him with this spear. But I do want to point out, once again, John is reminding us, in case we are beginning to doubt it, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. There was a sudden flow of blood and water. And the flow of blood and water is actually birth imagery. There is this reminder in this passage right here as Jesus, as blood and water flow from his body, Jesus was alive, he was human, he was born and now he is dying. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus in the night. Flashback number three. Do you remember who Nicodemus is? Do you remember him from John 3? This... Jewish religious leader who comes in the dark of night. He doesn't want anyone to see him, but he has some questions for Jesus. Do you remember what they talk about? A little bit of this story. Again, chopped up in pieces so we don't read the whole, because this is a lengthy one that John wants us to know about this passage. John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Awkward. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, come on, Nicodemus. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then we have this passage that is like beloved by so many of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here we have a glimpse of that as Jesus is dying on the cross. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's this conversation with Nicodemus about life eternal. 
this secret conversation by night, life eternal, and what we are about to watch is so tragic. Back to our passage, John 19, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, his dead body, the one who talked about eternal life. Nicodemus takes his dead, lifeless body, and the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Jesus says, you will never perish, Nicodemus. Everlasting life, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus takes the dead killed body of that Jesus and he buries that body. The one who he came to by night, the one who offered him eternal life, he wraps his body in myrrh and spices and puts him in a tomb. Jesus says to them and to us, you will never be thirsty again. He looks in this face of the Samaritan woman at the well, this woman outcast in her community, this woman who comes in the heat of the day to get water. You will never thirst again. I offer you living water. There's no shame. Come to me and I will give you living water. To the servants and to his mother and to his disciples. Not within his plan necessarily to have this be his first miracle. Commentators talk about all the other amazing miracles Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising people from the dead, like some of these really incredible things, the walking on water. Jesus may have been like, I wasn't thinking of starting off my miracles with turning water to wine. But maybe he was. But he says to them, okay, fill up those jugs with water. And Jesus brings the party. Jesus brings the celebration. Jesus brings the lavish joy. Fill those jugs with water. And here he is, thirsty and being given vinegar. And to Nicodemus, you will never die. You will never die 
follow me and you will have everlasting life. You will never perish. And then he's wrapped in linen and put in a tomb. The stone is rolled closed and the thing that the Jewish religious leaders care about is the appearance of a good-looking Sabbath during Passover. The Lamb of God is dead. Let's take a moment of quiet. I'd like to invite the worship team up. We are going to spend some time in prayer through music worship as we close our service today and as we meditate on the person of Jesus, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and what his death means.